Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 198. Today is August 5th, 2016. I'm your host, John Pagliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, these past couple weeks continue to be a struggle for me. I am fighting off a summer cold. My weak spot is my lungs. And so whenever I get something like this, it always goes into my sinuses or my lungs. And so that's what I'm struggling through right now. I've been uh, lax on getting out some podcasts. Uh, What happens is, you know, I, I work throughout the day and in the evening when it comes time to do a podcast, well, I'm either too worn out or my voice is gone. So that's where I've been these last uh, week and a half or so without an episode. I decided to uh, cut out of work a little early today. The market's just closed and I have all my work done for the weekend. So I wanted to take this time to record an episode before my voice runs out. Now, I've received a lot of questions about, hey, is this market topping out or is it going to go on to extreme all new highs? Um, That's something we're not going to cover today. I've gotten a lot of questions about the Zika virus and either what impact is that going to have or why does it seem not to be having an impact on the market? We're not going to cover that today. I've also received quite a number of questions about what's going on with oil falling apart and how low do we think it'll go, particularly as we get into uh, the fall. That is the item I want to discuss today. So we're going to talk not only about the current oil situation, but really how oil is important overall. We cover this in a lot of episodes because as you heard me say many times, there's only three real main elements of the economy that matter. That's the banking sector, the technology sector, and the energy sector. Everything else is dependent on those three. And that's why we can never ignore any of those or in particular energy We've been for the last, oh, oh, probably over 18 months, close to two years now in an oil glut, and we've seen some incredible uh, volatility in oil prices. So we're going to cover some of that today, and really what I want to talk to you about is the continued impact that shale oil producers are having on the market. This is something that a lot of people said was, hey, it was just a flash in a pan, it was going to go away. Well, I don't think it is. I think it's a long-term phenomena. Before we get into all that, though, I do want to direct you over to an episode of Perma Ethos TV. I was on that, I guess it's been a week or so ago at this point. I did a two-hour session with them. The first hour part of it, the actual presentation, they do charge for that if you didn't see it live. However, the second hour, which is the question and answer period, They do put that up for free, and so I do have a link today in the show notes that will direct you over to the free session on the question and answers for Perma Ethos TV. If you don't want to go into the show notes, I'm sure if you Google my name and Perma Ethos TV, you'll find it. So let's jump right into the topic at hand, and let's discuss oil. Now, as early as June, we'd seen oil in a rally. Oil started rallying this year when the stock market did right around February 11th. It peaked out in June and reached about $52 a barrel. Well, since then, it's pretty much been in decline. Last week, it bottomed out at $39.50. That's a move of almost 25% in about six weeks. That's a pretty drastic slide. If you remember, and just for full disclosure here, I was shorting oil. I continue to hold my oil short. I got in a little bit early. I have held it. And it's, it's continuing to do very nicely. I'm going to hold it for a little longer. Something to remember is that oil is always extremely volatile. And just to point that out, last week, as I mentioned, it had dropped down to $39.50 a barrel. Well, this Friday, it's closing at just under $41.90 a barrel. And so 
That's an increase of 6%. That's actually pretty stable for oil. Last year, when we really saw some swings in oil, we were seeing 6-7% swings just in a, in a single day's trading session. So you have to remember, when you're trading any commodity, particularly when you're trading oil, it's not a long-term investment. It's a speculation. Be cautious about how much of your portfolio you want to dedicate to something like that. And then, particularly when you're taking a short position or even a short position in anything, not just oil, you have to be extremely cautious because whenever there's a supply disruption or if the economy really kicks in and usage starts to go up, and in the case of oil, if there you know, be a war in the Middle East or any kind of major issue crop up in the Middle East, you could wake up some morning and see that your position has been completely wiped out. So whenever you take a short in oil, I just want you to be extremely, extremely cautious. Having said that, I do think we are in a long-term secular either downtrend in the price of oil or at least at this point a stabilization. This is a factor of many things because of alternative energies, because of conservation practices, because of just more efficient use. Uh, you know, when I was a kid in the 1970s, Americans were spending about 8% of their income on energy. Today, that's down to 5%. In the 1970s, I drove, you know, a little junky Chevy car that probably didn't get 10 or 15 miles to the gallon. Today, I drive a Subaru Outback all-wheel drive. On the, on the highway, I get about 33 miles per gallon. The world has gotten more efficient in its usage of energy as well as the overall consumption has slowed down because the growth of the economy has slowed down overall. And really, today while we're talking about oil, again, I want you to realize this is not just oil. It's about the overall economy. If you'll go back to both my website, blogs at investablewealth.com or previous wealth studying episodes, you, you've heard me speak many, many times over the last two years, 18 months, about the effect of oil prices and, and even things like the petrodollar, which have been in decline, which is, again, having a major impact on the global economy. In fact, let me digress a little bit here. I'm going to put a link in today's show notes on a blog post I did back in April. In fact, this was tax day, April 15th. And in that blog post, I have a chart that shows United States petrodollar circulation. And just broadly speaking, a petrodollar is the amount of U.S. dollars that are spent on importing oil into the United States. And so a petrodollar is what Saudi Arabia would earn whenever they sell oil to the United States. Or a petrodollar is what Canada or Venezuela or Norway would earn whenever they sell oil into the United States. Now, because we've become not only a major oil producer in recent years, but really just over the last less than a decade, we, we've even started to export our oil. That means that the United States has consumed a lot less imported oil. And so therefore, there are less U.S. petrodollars in circulation outside of the United States. The chart on that blog post shows you just how drastic this effect has become. And the impact has been so significant that in terms of petrodollars in circulation, we're really about back to where we were in the early 2000s, like 2002, 2003. That's how much petrodollars have been taken off the market. That is very deflationary. That's part of the reason that we saw the rise in the U.S. dollar over the last couple years is also because there is less U.S. dollars in circulation, so the value of the dollar goes up. Likewise, though, with less dollars in circulation, it's just like in your neighborhood. Imagine if half of your neighbors got laid off 
Well, they would, would not have a paycheck. They wouldn't have as much to spend. There would not be as many dollars circulating in your neighborhood. And so the price of rents would go down. There'd be more uh, foreclosures on the market because people couldn't pay their mortgages. So the real estate values would come down. Less people would be shopping at Nordstrom's. And so, you know, prices would come down there. Well, on a macro scale, that's what's happening in the global economy. A lot of why we're in a slowdown right now is related to this increase in production in U.S. shale oil and the impact that it's had throughout the globe. So take a look at that chart. It's very telling. Oh, but now let me try and get back on track here before I lose my voice. So bottom line, earlier this year, particularly right around February 11th, we saw oil prices bottom out. Oil got down as low as about 28, not quite $28 per barrel in February. And then from then, it went straight up until June of this year, where it reached $52 a barrel. A lot of the reason that the oil went up was because if you remember, we had Canadian wildfires in the western part of Canada that shut down oil production there. We had a lot of militant and rebel action in Nigeria, which shut down oil production. We had OPEC trying to flex its muscle. It had uh, about two meetings over that period of time where there were rumors that they were going to cut production and then it ended up saying that they were well, they would just cap production. Well, here we are now. OPEC is not capping production. Places like Venezuela, whose economy is in total free fall, is doing whatever it can to try and export oil to bring that economy out of its depression. Things are stabilizing in Nigeria. We had things like the military coup just take place in Turkey. That didn't uh, result in any disruption. Right now, the military actions and terrorism we're seeing from, from actors like ISIS seem to be uh, small, renegade, lone wolf-type operations, which are you know, centered mostly in Europe. So that's not disrupting the oil supply. The Canadian wildfires have been taken care of. Right now, over the next coming weeks, we'll be wrapping up the summer driving season in the United States, and we're at an all-time high of gasoline supplies. So all these factors are bringing down the cost of oil. And as I said, over the last six weeks or so, it's come down nearly 25%, and now it's come up a little bit. I suspect, though, as we move into the fall and into the winter, We'll see oil prices continue to come down. Now, I don't know if they'll breach the levels that we saw back in February, but what I've been saying for a long time and what I still believe now is because of the overall general global slowdown, we're seeing less growth in the consumption of oil. Now, the demand does keep going up, but it's a reduction in the forecasted rate of growth. And it's a significant reduction. So the fact that we're not using as much oil as was extrapolated is a key to this oil prices coming down. And then the other side of that is the shale oil production in the United States, which, as I just mentioned, as I talked about with the petrodollars, that's really a negative feedback loop that's causing global oil consumption to be reduced because there are less petrodollars circulating, which means that emerging markets and commodity exporting type markets have less money to spend. So therefore, they can't grow as fast. Therefore, they use less oil. Therefore, the oil price does not go up as high. Therefore, there are less petrodollars circulating. So it's a negative feedback loop that we're in right now. I suspect it's going to take the better part of five or 10 years to stabilize. That's pretty much in line with what we've seen historically. If you go back to 1986 when we had an oil glut, it took about 10 years, maybe a little more, for oil prices to really start to stabilize and then to rise again. So I think it's very likely that over the next 
five, if not 10 or more years, we're likely to see oil fluctuate between say 30 and $50 a barrel. Those price ranges could change, but for right now, it looks like when we get down below $30 a barrel, we start seeing a lot of rigs coming off of production. And so less production raises the price of oil, but just like we saw over the summer, when the price of oil starts getting up above $45, $47 a barrel, then more rigs come online. And by the time it gets up around $50, there's a lot of production again, and so the price comes back down. This is not a bad thing. This is how the market operates to eventually hit a stasis where we can reach an equilibrium between supply and demand. It's the most efficient way we know how to do it. It's the very essence of the free market. Now, those numbers I gave you of 30 to 50, that doesn't mean that oil will stay in those ranges. If there's a war in the Middle East, if there's some type of significant supply disruption, then oil could skyrocket. You could see it get up to 60 or $70. That would probably be a temporary phenomena, though, because just like these wildfires in Canada, once that was contained, once production started coming back online, or at least the fear of production not being further inhibited, then the price adjusts and we get back down to around $50 a barrel. That's when the swing producers in the United States, they're doing shale oil, they kick in, their rigs start pumping out oil, and the price drops back down below $50. Now on the other extreme, if we do get a big glut in oil, if Iran starts producing major amounts of oil, if Saudi Arabia uh, wants to have a price war and not lose their market share, particularly in Asia, then the price could drop temporarily significantly below $30, and we could see oil, who knows, 20 22 maybe $18 a barrel. It won't stay there long, but it could dip that low. And so as a stock trader, I want to look for these opportunities where when oil gets too high, I can short it. When it gets too low, we can either buy oil as the commodity or buy into the major oil producers like ExxonMobil and ride it back up. I think that's a strategy that can play out for some time. Now, I personally, over the last two years, haven't been very good at playing oil long. I've maybe been a little bit too, too pessimistic on thinking that oil is going to stay well below $50 a barrel, which, which again, I do think is likely. On the other hand, over the last couple of years, I've had some extremely profitable trades when I short oil. That's a much more risky proposition, as I earlier mentioned, but it is a way to make money. And I think for those of you that are more sophisticated and you have larger portfolios, that you can dedicate a small amount of that to shorting oil whenever it gets up around that $50, $52 a barrel. Now, I want to go back and focus on the shale oil production because I know there's a, a lot of members of this audience that are firm believers in peak oil, and they think that the shale oil production is just a feint, that it's a, a lot of money invested in bad technology, that the oil wells are rapidly depleted, and that this is going to result in peak oil. Now, I have no idea what's going to happen 5, 10, 15, 30 years from now. I don't know what I'm going to have for dinner this evening. Okay, so I can't predict the future. And so since I can't predict the future, what I'm concerned with is making money in the present. And while I don't know whether there will or won't be peak oil in the future, what I can pretty much guarantee over the next 18 months is that the price of oil will fluctuate. My overall bias at this point is that it's going to continue to drop down. And let me put a caveat in here. That, that is not to say that I'm going to hold my oil short for the next six months. In fact, I could sell it on Monday. I've got a nice profit. I don't want to lose that if oil should spike back up. And so I'm not saying that I'm taking a long, short position in oil. 
But what I am saying is, is that my bias continues to be that oil is going to be trading in ranges more like 40, 30, or maybe even $20 a barrel than it's going to be trading in ranges of 50, 60, or $70 a barrel over the next, say, you know, six to 18 months. My reason for that is that the oil exporting nations, and whether it's OPEC directly or whether it's non-OPEC members like, like Canada or Mexico, these commodity exporting countries have to keep producing. They can't afford to tighten up their production to raise the cost of oil because they all need the money. And Canada knows that if it starts limiting its production, that Mexico is just going to pump more. Or if Mexico limits its production, well, the Scandinavian countries will just increase theirs. We're in a very competitive global environment where everybody needs those petrodollars. And so you're not going to see the discipline of the 1970s where OPEC was able to come in and have an oil embargo and force the price of oil to go up to excessive levels. I don't think that's going to happen, at least over the short term. The other thing that you have happening is that in the United States alone, you have some 2,000 oil wells where the pipe is already in the ground. Those wells are not operational, but there's a fixed cost, which is it's already sunk. It's dead money. And even if those original uh, producers of oil go bankrupt, somebody like an ExxonMobil or another oil company with deep pockets They're sitting on the sidelines. They're ready to move in and pounce on those wells and buy them and keep them in mothballs until the price of oil exceeds the production costs. And so, again, that's why we're seeing this feedback system where when oil gets up around $45, $47, $50 a barrel, you start seeing these shale oil rigs coming back on the market. It's not quite as efficient as turning a valve or flipping a switch, but it's pretty darn close. The other thing you have to realize, now a lot of people criticize shale oil production because they say, well, the the wells don't produce as much as traditional wells, and they also peak out very quickly. Well, all that's true, but you have to also understand that the time to develop and the cost to develop are orders of magnitude cheaper than traditional vertical drilling, or the disparity is even greater when you get into deep water, uh, you know, wells, things that are out in the North Atlantic, or even shallow wells in, uh, in the Gulf of Mexico. When you're drilling over water, that's very expensive. It can take decades and billions of dollars to develop an oil field. If you're drilling in North Dakota or West Texas or Western Pennsylvania, and you're using modern horizontal drilling and fracking techniques, then you can develop that well in weeks or months, not in decades. And you can do it for millions of dollars, not billions of dollars. And so even if it peters out fairly quickly, you've already made your money and you can move that well onto a different location. In fact, before you do that, it's not like the old days where you just drilled one hole vertically down. Now they can go down as far as a mile and they can go out several miles horizontally and then they frack in between. That's why natural gas in the United States is under $3 per million BTU. And if you go over to Asia, you're going to pay something in the neighborhood of $14 or maybe $18 per million BTU because we are in a wash in natural gas in this country because of the fragging industry. And I want to quote some figures that came out just over the last week to give you an indication of how inexpensive it's gotten to produce the shale oil. And again, this is something that I've been arguing for some time. 
I originally made the argument that these high prices of oil wells operating at 70 or 80 or $100 a barrel, those only existed because at the time oil was selling on the, on the world market for $110, $120, $145 a barrel back in 2008. So these shale oil operations, which are run primarily by smaller companies, by what you would call wildcatters, they could afford to be sloppy back in 2008, 2009, 2010, because the price of oil was so high. As the price came down, they had to become more nimble, they had to become more efficient and more innovative. And they did that because small companies can always innovate quicker than large companies. That's why you didn't see companies like ExxonMobil participating in the shale oil revolution, because they're too large of a company to be that innovative. They have the billions of dollars, and so they do go do the deep water exploration, or they go out into the Arctic. But the little entrepreneurs, the guys like Harold Hamm, he doesn't have deep pockets. And so he had to either buy or lease land in places like North Dakota that nobody else wanted, and then he had to find innovative ways to get oil out of that property. And so as the price of oil came down, those wildcatters kept getting innovative and kept lowering the cost of production. Now, I was always optimistic that this would happen because as I studied history, as I studied guys like Harold Hamm in particular, they just didn't do it yesterday. Fracking and horizontal drilling to get shale oil production just didn't start happening in 2008. Fracking itself is a technology that was started, I believe, in 1948 or 49, right after World War II. So it's not a new technology at all. Guys like Harold Hamm were going out to North Dakota in the 1990s, you know, the Bakken oil field in North Dakota, they first discovered oil there in like the 1950s, but it really wasn't economical to produce. Guys like Harold Hamm started using these fracking techniques in the 1990s, and why I've always been optimistic that the price will come down in fracking is that back when they were starting fracking, the average price of oil was around $20 or $25 a barrel. So I didn't believe the media narrative that the only reason the frackers were profitable was that this was a post-2008 episode and oil had to be in the hundreds of dollars a barrel to make it sustainable. And we can argue all day about what those costs are and because there's a lot of individual companies in this, it's, it's hard to get our hands around it. But for the rigs that are currently in operation, there's no doubt that their cost of production is well under $30 a barrel. Now, I bring all this up because last week, the CEO of Pioneer Energy, he came out and said that his fracking operations in the Permian Basin, which is, is West Texas, out like Odessa, Midland, that, that area out, out in West Texas. By the way, I'll do a shout out to Doc Kevin out in Midland, Texas. I haven't been out in that area for probably the better part of 20 years. I plan to be in Texas this fall. I am going to swing by Midland. want to see my friend Kevin out there as well as maybe snooping around the area a little bit and seeing exactly what's going on in the oil fields. But there's no doubt that the cost of production has come down. Now, I bring up what the CEO of Pioneer Energy said because he said, and, and I think this is hyperbole, but he said that his oil fields in the Permian Basin are cheaper to operate than oil coming out of Saudi Arabia. Now, oil in Saudi Arabia, they're pumping that stuff for probably somewhere at or below 5 or $6 a barrel. Scott Sheffield, CEO of Pioneer Energy, he said that he can frack in the Permian Basin out in West Texas for around $2.25 a barrel. Now, do I believe him? No, I really don't. Energy CEOs are always talking up their books. They always come out with extremely low operational costs and then very high optimism 
for what the price of the commodity will be in the future. And these are people that I, I respect, people like Harold Hamm, people like T. Boone Pickens. But you have to remember, they're oil wildcatters. They put their wealth on the line to drill these wells, and so they have to be overly optimistic. So I don't believe what they say, but you know what? I don't disregard what they say any more than I wouldn't believe Tim, Tim Cook at Apple or Elon Musk at Tesla or Barack Obama in the White House. I don't trust any of them. What I do is I listen to what these people say, but then I watch how the market reacts. And so, do I think that they can produce oil at $2 a barrel? Probably not. But maybe they can produce it at 10 or 15 And when oil's selling at 40 or 50 that's still a huge profit margin. And it tells me that if enough of these wells continue to come online, and if they continue to being efficient and taking costs out, like they've demonstrated that they can do, that the price of oil in the short term is going to come down lower. And over the long term, we're going to see oil prices fluctuate somewhere in that $30 to $50 range. It obviously, as I said, could hit extremes on either end. You could see it hit 70 or 80 if things go crazy on supply distributions for a short period of time. You could see prices collapse down to $20 or $18 if we get a huge oil glut and further global economic slowdown. But generally, I think you're going to see oil in that $30 to $50 range. Now, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't predict the future. Maybe it'll be $45 to $65, or maybe it'll be $25 to $45. I don't know exactly. But from what I see occurring in the market, I can be pretty darn sure it's not going to be $150 oil anytime soon. Now, I want to sum all this up by reminding you what we talked about at the beginning of this episode, and that was the effect of the petrodollars. Because I do believe that oil will either stabilize at lower prices or it'll go down further, that will keep U.S. petrodollars off the market. That means countries like Saudi Arabia or Canada or Mexico or other oil-producing and commodity-producing countries will have less money to spend. When they have less money to spend, that means that they build less skyscrapers. It means that they have less subsidies to give to their welfare states. It means that their politicians and dictators have less graft money to skim off and so they can't take expensive vacations or buy big yachts or buy real estate in southern Florida. That has an impact on the global economy. That feedback loop is one of the reasons why we have such anemic, slow global growth. Right now, global growth is at about 3% and we're seeing global trade with the lowest growth rates pretty much in history. I don't think that that's likely to change. That's why I remain very concerned about what I'm doing and how I'm investing in the stock market. Because I think this market, not only in the United States, but around the world, is priced for perfection. People are chasing yields without regards to fundamentals. And I think at some point, when a shock comes to the system, it could get ugly really quickly. That's just my opinion. Take it for what it's worth. But I'm proceeding forward with caution. My voice is about to give up, so we'll wrap it up here for today. Thanks so much for joining me. Until the next episode, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best of returns.